Hey everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. Today we're going to dive a little bit into neuroscience, the science of making your brain work better, work faster, and one of the best new technologies that exists anywhere on the market. Today's guest is a graduate of biochemistry at University of California, Berkeley. He studied a master's in neuroscience at Stanford, and, and he got an MD at Stanford School of Medicine. This guy's no slouch. He's been in the tech industry since 2002 when he left med school and has been crushing it ever since with success after success, all focused in this area of neuroscience and brain optimization. Transcranial stimulation is what we're going to look at today. What does that mean? Sending electricity into your brain to make it work better. I know that sounds a little bit scary to all of us, And to be honest, it was to me as well when I began, but after experimenting with this device for over three years, I finally feel comfortable to bring Dr. Daniel Chow on the show today to discuss the Halo Sport, which many of you have heard of, and and every sports team, it seems, across the country is diving into this thing to optimize brain performance, brain function, and motor learning. Um, And it is a device that looks very much like a headset that you put on your head and it literally emits electrical impulse into your brain that is said to improve performance. Now, Dr. Chow and I discuss the safety first and foremost, because I know that's always going to be the hardest thing to overcome. And Dr. Chow has been working uh, most of his adult life, if not all of his adult life, on optimizing this technology and now looking at different areas of the brain that may actually benefit from this acute electrical stimulus. And he'll tell you all about the protocols, how to get it. He's going to hook you guys up with an awesome discount code just for being listeners of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I hope you all are living an amazing life. I hope you're thriving. I hope you're upgrading yourself every day, both physically and mentally. And you know, as always, challenge what you think you know, because it seems as though so many of us are stuck in this fixed mindset, this fixed paradigm that really needs to be challenged. And the idea of sending electrical impulses into your brain is absolutely a challenging thing to wrap your head around, but it's absolutely something that may benefit you. Now, this is not saying I'm uh, getting behind this and telling you this is 100% safe, But Dr. Chow is the CEO of this company, and he gives us uh, extensive data and extensive validation around why thousands and thousands of people across the U.S. and Canada and Europe are using this device and seeing massive benefits. And the cool thing is it's not that expensive, and you guys will enjoy the benefits when you try it out. Just before we get rolling on this podcast, I want to talk to you a little bit about sleep and one of my favorite sleep hacks that I'm actually using right now as I sit in my hotel room in Dubai. Uh, After a long trip, 13 hours on a plane, it's often very, very difficult to get to sleep. And um, the first thing that I go to, whether I'm trying to optimize my sleep or I feel like I'm getting a little bit run down, is reishi mushroom, three grams of reishi mushroom before bed is one of my favorite means of calming my nervous system, calming my mind, and helping me get into a deep state of sleep, especially when I'm traveling or just when I know I've had a stressful day and have a hard time turning off. Um, You guys know I've been a massive fan of Four Sigmatic for a long time. They've been a longtime supporter of this podcast, which allows me to bring you all this amazing free information from best guests around the entire planet. And I love Four Sigmatic. So I want you guys to head over to foursigmatic.com slash muscle and pick up some reishi mushroom, some lion's mane mushroom. Four Sigmatic is hooking you guys up 
if you use the code MUSCLE when you go over to foursigmatic.com. Now, support myself, support the show, and support Four Sigmatic for putting out such great products that support our health in a natural way. And enjoy the show with Dr. Daniel Chow. Dr. Daniel Chow, welcome to the show. I would love to hear a little bit about your background. Your pedigree is absolutely phenomenal. But if you could tell us, um, I know you're, you're a MD uh, and Master of Science from uh, Stanford. Yeah, so happy to talk about my background, though I wouldn't recommend my career path to anybody. Why is uh, that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you first, and then I think it'll become obvious. Um, there, there, are, there are a couple of twists and turns along the way, but um, I, I don't know. I think I'm thankful for everything, but it wasn't the most direct path. <laughs> uh, so, basically. In summary, I've been a brain nerd since the time I was a very young child, uh, just fascinated by the brain. And I was inspired by the decade of the brain, which was the 90s, famously coined by George H.W. Bush. Um, uh, studied it in college, went to UC Berkeley for that. Um, then after that, went to graduate school. As you mentioned, I went to Stanford, and um, there I got a, my medical doctorate and a master's in neuroscience. And uh, you know, I still remember this day. It was this class called pharmacology. It was like really big, important class in medical school. And you know, it, it didn't take me long to realize that when people talk about the miracle of modern medicine, they're really talking about drugs, and like just how amazing and life-changing and life-extending they could be. You know, you take a you know little pill once a day and magically your cholesterol is lower. You take a little pill once a day, magically your blood pressure is lower. Take a pill and amazingly, this infection that could have killed you 100 years ago, like you decide to go to work the next day, no big deal. Right. But, but then when you get to the chapter on drugs for the brain, and this is what I was really interested in learning, the wheels fall off. Uh, you know, drugs for the brain, you know, there's this, um, you know, like in terms of the therapeutic value that you get, so the amount of efficacy versus the amount of side effects that you have to endure, that ratio, you know, if you compare drugs for the brain versus drugs for other parts of the body, is about as bad as it gets. I mean, it's down there with cancer drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess that was really disappointing to me. I mean, here I am as this neuro guy and just really hungry to learn more about neuroscience and the brain and you know, especially how drugs work for the brain. And you get to this and you get to it and you know, what you learn is is that they're like, you know, it's it's actually you know, e extremely subpar compared to its peers. So, you know, I asked the question, um, you know, what if we were to start over? Like, let's pretend that the drug industry didn't exist and pharmacies and pharmacists and, you know, the prescription pad. Um, you know, like if you take a step back, like there's this whole system and industry built around delivering drugs, uh, which the United States has gotten really, really good at. And I think it, it, it clouds our perspective. Um, so like, what if we were to just take a step back and forget all of that existed? Like, how would you go about it? And yeah, I, I thought like maybe the way is to use electricity to retune the brain. 
um, you know, with electricity, you know, it relies on a physical device. And with a physical device, there's a lot of advantages over a drug. So, um, you know, I know probably not yourself, Ben, but maybe many of your listeners will, you know, they'll read about my bio and they'll read about my company and it's a brain stimulation company. And, you know, their first reaction might be like, wow, that is crazy. Um, but like, I hope, uh, I hope your listeners will, uh, you know, give me a chance to, uh, like explain the story and you know i hope by the end they will agree with me or at least start thinking about the status quo and how broken it is sure i think the audience is used to my um, always challenging their beliefs and challenging my own beliefs and uh, i think you know you would agree that putting a drug into or at least a drug that crosses the blood-brain barrier likely has even greater implications than than a low-level electricity and you know, from my perspective, talking to your what you said there around uh, pharmacology being so far behind when it comes to the brain, it, it's this scenario where you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul, right? You're you're putting something in, you're getting this massive negative side effect, mm-hmm. and I don't know that we can ever overcome that in the brain, right? Like obviously, maybe at some point in the future we could do it, but it seems as though when you push one thing up, your brain is always going to counteract with something else, and that's why I got so interested in your device was because. Um, again, that was one of the major questions I wanted to ask was like, you know, if we start pushing this electrical stimulation into the brain, first of all, like, I'm sure you're going on this path, but like what happens? Like, and obviously we know the brain's an electrical structure and we're going to increase transmission, but um, is that going to potentially lead to a greater metabolic response, greater metabolic requirements? Is it going to lead to downstream negative repercussions in some way? Yeah. So Ben, you said a lot of things there. Let, let me just, um, let me, uh, let, let, let's talk about all of them actually. So uh, you started off by saying something really interesting and I couldn't agree with you more in that, you know, taking a little pill and expecting that chemical to get through the gut into your blood and go to your brain, not, not the whole brain, but just a small part of the brain, which is where it's needed. That is impossible. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, it gets, it gets into your blood and it does a lap. This little chemical does a lap around all of your vital organs, you know, like kidney, liver, spleen, heart, lungs, um, unnecessarily and potentially, well, not potentially very much. So creating side effects along the way. And then there's this thing called the blood brain barrier, which you mentioned, which is very important. So the blood brain barrier is this, um, it's like this filter. And it only allows certain molecules to pass through this filter because the brain is a very delicate organ and it needs a protected circulation, which we all want. Now for a drug to get through this, um, you know, the sort of bioavailability to the brain is actually very low. So what that means is you typically, the strategy is, is to kind of overdose the blood so that the small amount of drug can pass through the blood brain barrier and enter the brain. Okay, so that's not good. Okay, so now let's talk about the small amount of uh, drug that does make it to your brain. Well, you can't expect this little chemical to go to the exact right part of the brain at the exact right time, right? That's, That's impossible. So this thing is just floating around in a chemical soup. And whatever it sticks to, that's where it acts. So it similarly goes all over the place in the brain unnecessarily. And, and so, you know, without being a neuroscientist or a medical doctor, 
you can understand why drugs for the brain don't work very well. You know, it's, it's a problem of targeting, right? There's like, you, you take it by mouth, it goes to your blood. It, it, you know, you do a lap around all the major organs before a small amount makes it to your brain. It goes all over the place in the brain. Like all of this is friendly fire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with a, with a neurostimulator, we can get around a lot of those problems. So, you know, with the neurostimulator, which is what my whole career has been based on, we could use a physical device where we can take advantage of this thing called an electrode. And an electrode, we can put exactly where we want and importantly, leave the rest of the body and the brain alone. Um, Also importantly, an electrode, you can turn on and off at your, you know, at your leisure. So you turn it on when you need it and you turn it off when you don't need it. That is impossible for a drug. Like there's no, you you take a drug and you're kind of stuck with it. You you can't turn the thing off. So, uh, so like, you know, this was an idea that I had in medical school that, you know, if we were to start over and forget the pharmaceutical industry, our approach to the brain might be radically different and it might be based on using neurostimulation or, you know, um, bioelectric therapy. Um, okay. So that's, that, so, that's one thing that you mentioned that was really important. And I want to get to this concept of zero sum too, which, which you also talked about, but, um, but yeah, Ben, you wanted to say something? No, I was just going to ask kind of one clarification question, but I can absolutely hold off until you finish that thought. Mm. All right. So the, so this idea of zero sum, if you push one thing up, it's like a teeter totter. If, if you push one side up, um, necessarily the other, something else somewhere else needs to go down. Now that question has been asked in using neurostimulation for the brain and studied and it hasn't been described like th- there, there isn't any data that describes that there's a zero sum concept. So, you know, with, with the case of halo sport, and we're going to talk a lot about halo sport in a second, but you know, just a, a sneak peek, halo sport is our first product and it is a motor cortex neurostimulator. If you use it combined with movement training, our promise to our users is that they will learn that movement faster. Now, Yourself and yourself and others, scientists have asked, like, okay, if you do this, does something else happen that goes down? Uh, and you know, to the extent that it's been studied, it hasn't been described. Uh, but l- let me just, you know, if you allow me some latitude, I I think in athletics it's understood that some things are zero sum, like when things go up, other things go down. Mm-hmm. And yet it's a conscious trade-off. Like, you know, for example, um, I'm really into cycling and it's understood that if you train to be a better sprinter, you will be a worse climber because, um, you know, if you're a sprinter, it's about like short periods of like bursty power. And to do that, you need bigger muscles. And if you have, if you have bigger muscles, then, you know, you generally weigh more, which, uh, which makes you a worse climber. So if you have a 3000, 4,000 foot climb, um, you know, at some point your mass is going to be a disadvantage to someone who's lighter. Um, you know, for a basketball player, you look at uh, someone 
who's tall and plays in the paint, you know, strength is to their advantage and they're willing to be stronger at the expense of quickness. Now, a point guard would not want that. So, you know, in, in terms of like athleticism, I think there are these known trade-offs and, you know, to the extent that neurostimulation plays into that, then, you know, I don't think there's any stopping that. I think, you know, there is something like there is like, you know, hopefully it's not completely zero sum. Hopefully there's, um, there's some lift on both sides, although there is some up and down. Uh, but, you know, I, I think in athleticism, there is this understanding of trade-offs when you start training for something. Sure. I think when it comes to the brain, though, that, you know, ambiguity, even the, the possibility of having some negative repercussions on something is a very frightening scenario for some people, mm -hmm. right? Like, what am I possibly going to lose to experience a little bit of upregulation of skill acquisition or upregulation of maybe speed of processing, right? Um, so that, that uncertainty, uh, I'm sure, is something you guys have uh, begun to study. Yes, yes. Uh, and, you know, I, I should mention it's it's us, but it's also a community of scientists that are interested um, in, in these exact questions. So, you know, maybe I should take a step back and talk to, you know, yourself and your the listeners about the history of neurostimulation, because you know, although this might be our first conversation about neurostimulation, the field has existed for several decades. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, so there's been uh, there's been the use of you know our flavor of neurostimulation, so-called non-invasive neurostimulation, that's been around for a while. But there's been uh, so-called invasive neurostimulation. So, you know, these are for medical applications where electrodes are surgically implanted in the brain, um, connected to a pulse generator that's implanted under the skin. So this is uh, you know think of this as like a pacemaker for your brain, mm -hmm. you know, not for your heart but for your brain. And these have been available to people uh, that have Parkinson's disease, chronic pain, epilepsy, tremor. Uh, so these types of you know, neurologic disorders, uh, you know, folks with these disorders have, have benefited from so-called invasive neurostimulation for over 20 years. Um, and in looking at these folks, he, he, you know, this is a far more severe form of neurostimulation. Like, you know, these folks are getting stimulated invasively 24-7 for years on end. You know, many of these people for over a decade. Uh, and you know, in, in terms of like side effects or zero sum, um, you know, things going up, improving while other things getting worse, um, you know, the trade-offs are very moderate. Um there's, uh, you know, the, the side effects beyond the risk of the surgery um, are actually very low. So, you know, my last company, we built a, like a pacemaker for the brain to treat epilepsy. Mm -hmm. It's a company called Neuropace. Um, and, you know, we're, there's thousands of people with our system installed, um, so surgically implanted in the brain. Um, many of these people have been using our product benefiting from our, our product for over 10 years. And, you know, if anything, the device is working better with time. So, you know, with, uh, with, especially the brain, many people think like, Oh, okay, you take this drug and you need more and more to get the same benefit. But that isn't true with neurostimulation, like in, in neurostimulation and certain in the experience of my last company, you know, the results, the 10 year results are better than the one year results. 
Very interesting. I'm really interested in that, Dr. Chow. That's one question I wanted to really dig into. Oh, was, please call me Dan, by the way. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dan, sorry, I apologize. The, no, no, don't, um, don't apologize. Um, the implications of like subjecting your body or your brain to um, any type of electrical stimulation, what has research shown that actually happens? Like, I think you're kind of going down to answer this question anyways, but like, mm-hmm. I'm always kind of um, cautious about, hey, we're going to subject your body to this. And whether or not we're seeing an upregulation, downregulation, or kind of a, a deteriorating effect or an upregulated effect um, from these, you know, ultimately transcranial um, direct stimulation. Yeah. So what, uh, like, what's going on here, and what are the potential safety risks? That's a, like, you know, I think that's a maybe the most important question of this entire podcast. So yeah, let's dig in. So. Uh, the technology is called transcranial direct current stimulation. Uh, you know, the field in its modern form started uh, about 15 years ago. And in 15 years, we quickly ramped up to over 4,000 peer-reviewed scientific publications. So, uh, you know, I, I would call it a fairly well-studied but new field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it works is you, uh, you take an electrode. And you put it over this. You put it on your scalp over a part of the brain that you want to uh, you want to affect. You turn on the stimulator for about twenty minutes, and what that does is it induces this temporary state of hyperlearning in the underlying part of the brain. So this state of hyperlearning lasts for about an hour. So uh, in the case of Halo Sport, we're stimulating the part of the brain that controls movement. And what we ask our users to do is to stimulate you know, this, this so-called motor cortex for 20 minutes and then feed the brain repetitive training repetitions, like deliberate, thoughtful um, training repetitions, quality training repetitions for the next hour and you know what like what the, you know the result is is that you will learn that movement at an accelerated rate all right so you know what we're doing is we're pl- applying this 20 minute session of neurostimulation um you know in in the case of this form of neurostimulation so you know so-called tdcs it relies on a direct current a very mild direct current so between one and two milliamps uh, this amount of current produces an electric field that is strong enough to get through the skull while gently interacting with just very superficial layers of cortex. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second, but just shelf that as an important point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very mild amount of stimulation and the, like the mildness is a blessing and a curse all in one. So it is a blessing because, um, you know, that is probably why it is so damn safe. And we'll talk about the safety data in just one minute. But the flip side of that is that we can't go very deep with this technology. Um, so there are deeper brain structures that are interesting that I would love to stimulate. But frankly, TDCS will never be strong enough to hit those targets. So. Uh, fortunately, there's plenty of superficial targets that are th- that are like very interesting and have uh, you know powerful connections throughout the brain that um, we're excited to modulate. Motor cortex being ex- exhibit A, um, but the downside is is that you know we can't target those deeper structures. 
just from negligence of user or just lack of efficacy in or in or studies? Oh, well, uh, you know, part of it, the, the the biggest part of it is is just um, the, the the like the physics of the technology um, that we would have to turn it up to a level that would just be like from a comfort perspective, uh, basically intolerable. Right. So you're a user of Halo Spartan. Yeah, like we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. But like, you know, if you use it at level 10, for most people, that's okay. But for, for other people, you know, there's um, the sensation is too intense. Oh, for sure. Yep. And, and so you can imagine if there was a, you know, like a level 20, like that would be too intense for just about everybody. I think so, it may be the type of thing where you have an attenuation that seemed reasonable. Like you'd, you'd um, kind of become desensitized to it. There is some. Um, and like, I, you know, for most people, like as they continue to use it, they're like, oh, that's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And they can go up in intensity for many people like level 10 is fine from session one and like right. more, more power. But, you know, for other folks, they start at level five or level six. And then, you know, after five or six uses, they're like, oh, that's no big deal. And, you know, they can, get, they can go up higher. But, um, you know, to, to just like finish the thought on safety, the like, with safety, to me, like any discussion around safety should be a discussion around data. Um, so the data from those 4,000 publications, uh, they all point to a very, very safe technology. You know, there, there isn't, um, you know, there hasn't been any description of like, like, let's just have some fun. Like, you know, what, what could go wrong? Um, could you have mood changes, like be depressed or manic? Well, th that that hasn't been described. Could you get like cancer or something like, you know, what a cell phone would produce? Like that hasn't been described. Um, like a stroke or a blood clot of some sort, that hasn't been described. Um, memory issues, balance issues, like none of that has been described. Um, like folks have looked hard deliberately, like like proactively asking like questions, not just soliciting um, unprompted responses. Uh, we've also done that. Like, you know, we, we've tested several thousand people at this point in randomized controlled studies and we can't find anything. And, you know, if there's any org single organization on earth that has as much data as we do, like there's actually, I don't think there is any single organization on earth that has as much data as we do because we've got tens of thousands of these headsets out in the wild. You know, we recently uh, crossed um, a quarter million successful neurostimulation sessions. Wow. And, you know, our users are like, you know, they're, they're using it and they're not having, you know, like any of the side effects that I, you know, I think are really hypothetical without any data that supports these hy hypotheses. So, uh, you know, we're confident that this is a safe product. So staying on the safety uh, realm, um, have you guys experimented with using it on other areas of the brain or, or is this something you guys are concerned with other people, you know, just you know, trying it at home and throwing it on, you know, the back of the brain, the front of the brain and potentially experimenting with different uh, effects in different areas? So the Halo Sport, the recommended use is to target the motor cortex. It's mm -hmm. built for the motor cortex. Now, your question around, like, what if you tilt it forwards or backwards? Like, you could target a different brain region. And we 100% know this is happening. Uh, if, if the user is a skilled user 
um, you know, like there are many folks that are self-proclaimed biohackers and, you know, um, you know, and they're interested in targeting a different brain region, then by all means, like have fun, give it a try. Um, we have scientists that have partnered with us. Um, and also like, a, a you know, a, like not necessarily scientists, but, um, you know, they're working in, um, you know, skilled organizations that want to try targeting different brain regions with Halo Sport by tilting it forwards or backwards. Uh, like, you know, we're, we're happy to support, you know, these so-called power users in that endeavor because there are other brain regions that have been studied with excellent data, um, you know, like not to spill company secrets, but we're interested in many of these targets and you could expect new products from Halo that are built specifically to target um, these new areas, right? So you don't have to, you know, wear Halo Sport in kind of this goofy way. Um, you could have a, a special headset that's designed to target a different part of the brain. And, you know, we're, we're really interested and, in, you know, actively building, you know, our next generation neurostimulator that'll do just that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if there's, uh, you know, if folks are interested in targeting other brain regions and, you know, they're, they're skilled and, you know, they're, they're ready to kind of take ownership of going off the grid, then by all means. Good to know there's no safety concerns there. So Dan, talk to me about the performance measures here. So if, if somebody throws on the uh, Halo for 20 minutes, hits the gym or, or, you know, whatever their endurance or their event happens to be, um, what have you guys seen as far as like actual quantitative response? Like have you, have you started to quantify um, or even qualify any of the um, potential uh, implications? Yeah. Um, love this question. Uh, so there's, the um, I'll answer it in two ways. So, uh, one, we are thankful and forever indebted to the scientific community that preceded us. So, we founded the company in 2013, and by then there are already several hundred articles written um, about TDCS and targeting different brain regions, getting different effects, all excellent, well-controlled trials. And to those, to the credit of these scientists, they gave us the courage to found Halo. Now, since founding the company, many of these scientists are now our friends and users of our products, um, which is which is amazing. It's one of the great joys of my job. Now, uh, you know, with, um, you know, with collaborative efforts with these labs, and also with our own lab, so I should mention that we have seven neuroscientists on staff, and we we do our own original science. Um, you know, we're like really really happy to like join forces with the scientific community to help advance the frontier of what we know. So, how do you do research generally in this field to figure out what's going on? So, um, like, let, let's take weightlifting because that's topical for this, um, for this audience. Uh, you, you would take a group of people and divide them into two. Half of them get neurostimulation. The other half get fake neurostimulation. Uh, we call this sham, the sham group. So this fake neurostimulation, uh, the amount of neurostimulation feels like the real thing, but it actually doesn't work. So the cool thing is, is that everybody thinks they're getting the real thing, but in actuality, only half of them are. So these subjects 
that are enrolled in the study are so-called blinded, right? So they don't know which group they're in. And the researchers conducting the study are also blinded. So they don't know which group people are in. So everybody's treated equally. Uh, so uh, what you do is you do some baseline testing. Uh, you do a bunch of training with real or sham neurostimulation. And then you do some uh, post, post testing. So you compare baseline to post. And what you would expect to see is that in the sham group, that they would see some lift in the performance metric. And you would expect that because with any amount of training, uh, well, sh well, heck, you know, you, you did some training, you should be like, you know, you should see a little bump in performance. Okay. And, and we would see that. But in the stimulated group, if you believe the technology works, you would see a level of performance above and beyond the control group. Um, so it, this has been tested like multiple, multiple times on over, hundreds of times over. Um, and the tests show, um, and I'm just going to like restrict my answer to just the motor cortex studies, mm -hmm. that we could, we could accelerate the, accelerate the rate of motor learning, movement learning by about 50% over the control group. Now, wow. in terms of performance, like, what does that mean? Because, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, you know, if if you want this to be part of your training arsenal, like, what expect? Like, what could you expect? Sure. So, just one question to clarify: yeah. that's fifty percent uh, acutely or over time. So, um, so it's it's a fifty percent gain in the rate of learning. Okay. okay so, so immediately. Right. So, um, you know the the. The, the rate of learning. Using, are you using like a Stroop test? Is that what you guys are? I think I saw you guys using as far as the rate of learning. Like how we how are we quantifying rate of learning. So there's a lot of different ways, and you wouldn't use the Stroop test for um, for motor cortex. So the Stroop test, you know, for those that that don't know, it's you know the again, you know, you, it's um, you know, you would have a right arrow and the word left and. Uh, you know, you would have to say if this is congruent or not. And, you know, you, you try to like mix these signals up and, you know, the better you are at detecting whether these are congruent or incongruent, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the better your result. And, you know, this is, um, this is a, a test of more cognitive function. You know, what we're talking about is the motor cortex, which is all about movement. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different ways you could test the, the, the motor system. So there's things that you could test um, in terms of fine motor control. So you could, um, like, you know, for example, on a computer, you can test how accurate uh, folks are with a mouse. Um, so you basically go target hunting with a mouse and you can measure that. Um, you know, that's, uh, that might be interesting to a video gamer, but, you know, to this audience, it's probably less interesting. So, um, you know, there's other things you could do to, say, test for strength. There's something called MVC, maximum voluntary contraction, mm -hmm. and you can measure that safely in a lab um, with these different force gauges. So the one that we like tests grip strength. Um, you know, grip strength is um, you know testing muscles in your forearm, and you could do that in a way that you know isn't particularly dangerous to the research subject. 
Um, and, you know, it's actually, you know, it's still, it's still relevant. Like grip strength is relevant to a lot of different sports. Sure. Uh, so, you know, ourselves and others have studied maximum voluntary contraction using grip strength. Um, and frankly, other, other forms of maximum voluntary contraction. We can show that um, we could see an improvement in MBC if you train with neurostimulation versus not. Um, for endurance athletes, there's, uh, there's different ways that you could test this. And, you know, these, like, there's these like really brutal tests that's called, um, time to exhaustion. Um, so you basically put these people on and say a stationary bike and you increase the load by 50 Watts or whatever step you want every 30 seconds. And you have the subject just keep pedaling until they're so tired, they fall off the bike. And you mark that time. And if you train with neurostimulation, you could you could extend the time to exhaustion versus if you trained um, with fake neurostimulation. So you know there's different ways that you can measure. Uh, but you know the the studies that we pay the most attention to and the studies that we conduct ourselves are these ones that are so-called, you know, double-blinded randomized controlled trials. Thank you for that. Um, so one question I threw at you earlier that I'd love to just kind of dig into is like, are you guys doing pre and post QEGs on any of the uh, subjects like in-house or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. any of the researchers? So uh, let's, can I take that question more broadly? So you mentioned EEG, um, which is a way to electrically visualize the brain, mm -hmm. but there are other ways to visualize the brain. Like you can use um, infrared, you can use uh, MRI, um, yeah. pet scanning. Um, so there's a variety of different modalities that you can use to image the brain, EEG being one very good one. So uh, though we like EEG, we also realize its limitations. Um, so EEG um, is a really noisy way of collecting data from the brain. Um, and th the noise comes from the atmosphere, like um, electromagnetic signals from the atmosphere. The noise comes from muscles in our face and our eyes. Um, so we like EEG, but we, we, we generally don't use it in our lab. Um, we prefer this other, um, modality, uh, that uses infrared and, you know, we could absolutely see activation in the cortex that we are, uh, stimulating using infrared, um, versus other parts of the brain that aren't being treated. Um, and beyond that, so our lab isn't really set up to do MRI, but other labs are, and there's been multiple studies now published looking at, you know, these, um, more sophisticated, but like, you know, admittedly more expensive forms of, um, imaging the brain and using those technologies, you can also detect a change. Um, would that be uh, something you can actually test in real time because it's infrared and, and the QEG wouldn't be affected by the electrical stimulation? Uh, with infrared, you can, you can test it in real time. So we, we actually have a, a rig set up where we can put the sensor right in the middle of the electrode, which is kind of cool. Um, and we can see these changes in real time. Very interesting. Have you guys looked at any, um, changes in like the metabolic response of, of the brain cells, the tissues or the neurotransmitter response. Is that something you're able to, to test yet? 
Uh, you know, there's, you know, the way to do that would be in animal studies where you can be like far more invasive than you could yep. with like a, with, you know, human testing. So, you know, we understand our place in science, you know, what, like what we call is like, you know, we're, we're translational science. So we're trying to take scientific equipment, um, and figure out like, how can we, how can we apply this in a consumer landscape? Now, those more deeply mechanistic studies that you're asking about, like we understand that's not our place in science. Um, that's, uh, that's based for universities that are set up with MRI scanners and PET scanners and all of this like very expensive specialized equipment that frankly, like, you know, as a for-profit company, you know, that will, that will never be um, like our, our place in science. Like our place in science is the final mile. Um, I understand. I was just I was just curious how, you know, sending any electrical stimulation through your brain is actually impacting all of it, right? From a chemistry perspective, from a uh, neurotransmitter perspective, like what's actually happening? And is there data on there out there, like outside of your company? Is there data out there on this stuff? There is some. Um, you know, it's again, it's an animal animal work, and um, you know there are neurotransmitter effects, as you would expect. Right, you would expect um, you know increases in signaling, and you would like um, you know, especially on the physiology side, you can you can measure the excitability of the cortex using um, using these pulses um, produced by a TMS magnet. So, like, I won't get too into that because that's that's kind of a tangent. But suffice it to say, you can use what are called um, evoked potentials to test how excitable the cortex is. And after 20 minutes of neurostimulation, you can see that these evoked potentials are, are potentiated. Um, so for a, given, for a given pulse, the result is a much bigger um, um, signal after you stimulate with TDCS. So these are some of the classic studies that came out in like 2003, 2004, um, from Nietzsche and Paul and Soper in Germany, you know, sort of the, you know, the godfathers of the, the modern version of this, of this, of this field. Um, and they describe this change in physio physiology. And that's really what sparked interest and has cascaded into, you know, over 4,000 publications. Very, very interesting. Now you guys are relaunching the Halo 2. Can you tell me a little bit about how that's differentiating from the first one you said you put out? Yeah, so um, Halo Sport um, version one was launched about three years ago. And Ben, I got to thank you for being one of our early customers. Yeah, I tell you, I was, I'm fascinated with this stuff. And um, anytime we can kind of get that edge, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, not just the fact you're on here, I definitively see a difference. And the biggest difference I saw subjectively, obviously, was the time to peak performance was a fraction of what it normally otherwise been, right? So if I could, you know, example, lift 600 pounds, it would normally take 30 minutes to get to that point, whereas with the, or maybe longer than that, whereas with the uh, halo, it was a fraction. So um, that, that's a difference I saw. I just felt like as soon as I was done my priming, I was ready to go and I can almost go to peak output right away. I don't know if you've seen stuff like that with other athletes. Like I see the benefit of that with you know, really any sport. It's like, you know, cutting down your warm up time or uh, e even improving the efficacy of your warm up would be, 
you know, massively beneficial. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot. And we also, I, I think we hear it from the weightlifting community more so than other communities, because I think it's just more obvious um, in your form of training. Because you like, it's just more acute, you're more acutely aware of, because yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're looking at a number, like how much are you moving? Right. I think it's more of a subjective thing though. Like I just feel like things are turned on. I feel like, you know, if mm-hmm. I, if I was a golfer, I feel like putting this thing on my head before I golf to be like, you know, those days where you go in and, you know, as a cyclist, you get this, those days you go in and you just feel good. You're not sure why you can't really put a finger on it, but I just feel like mm-hmm. my muscles are all kind of firing and go doing things the way they're supposed to be doing. Awesome. That's like great to hear. Um, so, uh, like, all right. So Ben, you're used to halo sport one. We recently launched Halo Sport 2, and for our original users, they will appreciate many of these product improvements. For our new users, they will just take these for granted. So, Ben, again, thank you for being one of our our early customers. Like, you know, when when you get your Halo Sport 2, you'll you'll appreciate some of these product improvements, which you know I think are significant. So, first and foremost, the electrodes we call them primers. Um, are are much much better so the foam has been reformulated so that it really sucks up water better mm-hmm. before um, the biggest complaint from halo sport one users was that it took too long to wet the primers and that's because of the foam it just wasn't um it wasn't spongy enough so uh the new version of the foam basically solves that problem instead of it taking a full minute or two to wet the primer foam uh, now it's just mere seconds so like, you know, that, that problem hopefully just put to rest with Halo Sport 2. Um, another is uh, it was just kind of inconvenient to handle three different primers. Um, now, instead of three individual primers, it's one primer strip. So just a convenience factor, um, just handling one long thing rather than three small things. Um, and then, you know, we got a lot of feedback that, folks were using our headset as their primary set of headphones. So like, you know, just uh, FYI to the users or to your, to your listeners, uh, you know, the, the headset looks like a set of headphones and they do play music, though the music is not core to our technology at all. Um, and like listening to music is completely optional. But you know, when we were hearing from our customers is that they're using it um, as their music headphones. So with Halo Sport 2, we deliberately leveled up on the music quality. So we worked with acoustic engineers and just like really leveled up the, the acoustic properties of the headset. Um, and also it's natively Bluetooth uh, for music. Before you used to need a, you used to need a audio cable um, to listen to music. Now, now you can ditch the cable. Thanks a lot, iPhone. Really appreciate it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so like everything's Bluetooth now. Awesome. Um, one thing I'm very curious about: Have you guys seen any kind of synergistic synergistic effects, or have you been looking at synergistic effects, whether it be from um, you know substances you're ingesting orally, or from mm. sound, or really any other kind of complementary modality where you see mm. an amplification? It's a g- great question. So. Time will tell if there are synergistic effects with um, different um, different compounds, you know, especially one that you would take by mouth. 
Ben, the data doesn't exist, but if I could just have some latitude and hypothesize with you, I bet that we will discover synergistic effects. Um, and the reason why is in like in, in my prior life, so um, my time at Neuropace, which was an epilepsy company, uh, we found that the neurostimulation for these people with epilepsy uh, was synergistic with this particular class of anti-epileptic medication. Uh, so the so-called sodium channel blocker family of, um, of, uh, of uh, anti-epileptic medication. So that was interesting. And, you know, like with more scientific study, you know, there's been some, like, I think some pretty well thought out hypotheses as to why that happens. Um, so closer to home with this specific form of neurostimulation. So back to TDCS, which is what Halo Sport is. Um, so TDCS applied to, so not the motor cortex, this other part of the brain called the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. So long name DLPFC for short. This brain target has been studied for the treatment of depression. Um, and they found these like, several uh, research groups have now found and confirmed that if you stimulate this part of the brain, um, it can work for the treatment of depression, which is amazing and like something we're really curious about. But interestingly, they also found that you can augment the effect of neurostimulation by taking an SSRI. So an SSRI, like we've all heard of these, th this family of drugs, they include Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Celexa, so on and so forth. Uh, so, you know, there's already evidence that shows that you can combine, you know, like a drug in this case with TDCS and get an augmented effect. So, you know, like, you know, time will tell, like as we combine neurostimulation with um, different, uh, different modalities, like, you know, will there be a synergistic effect or an antagonistic effect? Um, time will tell if that happens. Are you able to give us a little bit of insight into what you guys are excited about now, what you guys are studying at uh, Halo Sport? Uh, so the company is Halo Neuroscience. The, the product is Halo Sport. Um, and we are certainly interested in, uh, one, building a better motor cortex neurostimulator. So you could expect a Halo Sport 3 to come out from the company, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a few years. Um, there's already ways that we think we can level up on the current product, even though the current product just came out. Um, we're interested in targeting different brain regions. So I alluded to that um, mm -hmm. earlier in this conversation. So there's other brain regions that, um, you know, and I you have don't to want to, you don't want to divulge. Yeah. I have to be a little secretive here. Um, sure, but, that's but yeah, there, there's other brain regions that we're really interested in and we'll de design specific products to target that brain region. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Ben, I want to mention that, you know, as a medical doctor, we're really excited about applying um, these piece, the, these headsets that, you know, at first come out for consumer applications, but translating that into a medical application. So for example, with Halo Sport, we're interested in augmenting physical therapy for people who just had a stroke. Very interesting. Right. So like the same principles, like, um, like how can we accelerate movement learning? Like we want to help 
bodybuilders and weightlifters accelerate movement learning for you know the new techniques and 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 lifts that they want to perfect and everybody on the athletic side what about someone who had us just had a stroke and needs to practice movement so that they can learn to walk again mm-hmm. so there's already some really interesting pilot data looking at this showing that like by yes we can we can do this so we as a company want to study this more systematically and appeal to the fda for approval so that we can um, that we can market a medical device to help stroke victims. Um, and you know, the, the, the list just goes on, you know, for, for every piece of hardware that, you know, initially comes out for, you know, a quote consumer application, you could expect the company to also explore, uh, medical opportunities with that same piece of hardware. As have you guys, I think I asked you this, but I don't know that I got a, a, don't understand the answer. Have you guys uh, acknowledged any energetic implications of exposure to the halo sport from like brain energy utilization? Have you guys looked at mitochondrial function or you know ATP production or ATP byproducts or anything along those lines? Or any is there anyone that you know of? Uh, no, no, I don't. Yeah, okay, I'm just very curious, but maybe I'll look into it and see if it exists. Um, well. Dan, Dr. Dan, uh, absolutely incredible information. Um, can't thank you enough for uh, bringing this piece of um, technology to the world because I think it's helping a lot of people and not just from you know the, the vain athletic perspective, but also from just optimizing performance. And uh, like I said, I've noticed it tremendously uh, from my training. I've also experimented with it on different parts of my brain. And oh, you have. <laughs> secretly. Um, yeah, yeah. I have um, noticing a big difference in uh, certain ability to, to learn, ability to retain information. Um, you know, I, I was trying it before reading, before studying. Um, you know, put it kind of to the back of my brain, to the front of my brain. Tried different different places for weeks at a time, and um, definitively noticed a difference. I mean, if it's a type of thing where if you had kind of a full head. Uh, helmet it'd probably be a, be a customer as well just to experiment with you know what it looks like in different places oh, i love it thank you ben thank you for having me this has been a well, thank you very much conversation and, uh, i i, I yeah. appreciate um i appreciate you know you asking those tough questions because you know i think um you know the best the, the best dialogue is an open and um and you know thoughtful and just really transparent and i like i really enjoyed this and where can the listeners go and pick up their uh halo 2 yeah, so Halo Sport Two is, um, you know, we're recording this podcast in April, so maybe by the time um, this podcast airs, the the product will be available for first uh, for like basically a live product. So right now, as we speak, it's only available for pre sales. But um, very soon, watch date. Yeah, so very soon, just in like a four or six weeks, we'll be, we'll have enough stock to just. Like if you order it today, you'll have it in two days. Yeah. Uh, and that's very cool. Yeah, that's haloneuro.com. Um, really easy, haloneuro.com. Awesome. And Dan, Dr. Dan, you have my stamp of approval. Like I said, I'll be uh, one of your first customers for this one as well. So thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to everything you guys do in the future. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.